This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, July 26, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. George Washington was the easy choice to lead the Continental Army, and after the war, he was the easy choice to become our first president. Rob McDonald is an associate professor of history at the United States Military Academy and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. We talked about our first president and his role at the founding at Cato University in 2012. George Washington is historically remembered as our greatest president. But he's our greatest president, according to historians, uh, at least in my estimation, for not clinging to power, to understanding that his role as president was limited. Uh, But of course, he was also the leader of our Continental Army uh, during the Revolutionary War. What was his role in getting that revolution going? What was his role before that? Well, I think one of the reasons Washington was selected as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army um, by the civilian legislators of the Continental Congress is that he was one of them. Um, you know, he spent the bulk of his life uh, as as a plantation owner, um, but also as a member of Virginia's House of Burgesses, Virginia's legislature. Uh, as a very young man, he was a member of Virginia's uh, militia. He was a 23-year-old colonel. Um, very high rank for a 23-year-old who, who served in the opening scenes of the French and Indian War. So when Washington was selected to lead the army in 1775, he was one of the very few people um, who had significant leadership experience, m- military leadership experience, um, but, but also a relative degree of youth and vigor um, that would be necessary during the course of the War for Independence from Great Britain. He seemed to be somebody who was driven largely by a sense of duty. Mm -hmm. And that is not to take anything away from the fact that he was, in many respects, quite pessimistic about the likelihood of success uh, for the Continental Army. So in some ways, he was like, well, this is a a duty I will take on, but, you know, the, the costs could be quite high. Yeah, he certainly was aware of all the challenges that uh, the Continental Army faced. Um, This is a war against the world's greatest superpower. I mean, Great Britain had, had, you know, proven its its excellence during the French and Indian War, um, you know, which had been fought here in in America um, beginning in in 1754. Um, And Washington was there. Washington had fought with the British. Um, And yet he knew from his experience that Uh, the British could make mistakes um, as well. And I think he knew that time was on the side of Americans. Um, We were here in America. We were defending our own turf. We were defending our own hearths, our own homes. Um, The British, they had to retain a degree of political will um, in order to stay here. And as the war uh, raged on, as... uh, Britain's gains proved to be fleeting. They would occupy an American city, but when they left, um, they would lose control of it. As Britain saw that it was failing to win hearts and minds in America, I think Washington understood that uh, our our goal was not so much to defeat the British, um, but to allow the British to uh, to withdraw and give up. Okay, I, I hear a lot of modern parallels to that. I mean, essentially... Uh the British were fighting an insurgency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think there's there's good truth to that. Washington, um, of course, wanted very much to have the Continental Army shaped as a modern 
uh, European-style professional military force. Indeed, it got more professional as the war for independence progressed. But uh, he wasn't going to meet the British on the battlefield on, on British terms. Uh, he was very selective about when he fought. Um, he wanted to fight at places. He wanted to fight at times where the American army had a very strong chance of winning. And the last thing he wanted to do was uh, to see his army captured. Uh, it was keeping the army alive, keeping the revolution alive, um, exhausting the British, tiring the British out. And frankly, uh, the longer the British stayed in America, the more the British alienated the civilian population of America. Counterinsurgency 101 then for the British was uh, in no way successful. It, it really wasn't. I mean, the British were very heavy handed with the civilian population. An example is in 1777, the British are trying to subdue the Hudson River um, region and General John Burgoyne apparently contracts with local Native American tribes um, and is willing to pay them to produce the scalps of American patriots who live along the Hudson River. And there's a young woman, a loyalist, um, who's, who's engaged to a, a young uh, British uh, officer, a woman named Jane McRae. And uh, she is famous for her beauty and her long, flowing red hair. The story goes that um, a Native American was pulling scalps out of a bag and uh, Jane McRae's fiancé was counting out the money um, to, to pay him for, for you know, these, this, this horrible crime against civilians. And uh, he, he looked in, in utter horror as the Native American reached into the bag and pulled out the long, flowing, red, unmistakable locks of his now dead fiancé, now murdered fiancé, Jane McRae. I mean, that was a story um, that we not only know today, it was a story that people knew back then. And George Washington um, made the most of it. He was talking about it for, for years. So the British certainly um, did a bad job managing uh, their, their message and cultivating good relations with the American people. Following the war, what was a defining characteristic of Washington's contribution to the Constitutional Convention? He does not have a lot of writings under his belt, but of course he – Alexander Hamilton was one of his uh, trusted aides during – the war, mm -hmm. and it seemed that George Washington chose people very carefully to surround himself with uh, sort of proxies for his own thinking, people he trusted, people he knew that had the right animating principles. Uh, what was his role in the convention? Well, Washington was, was urged uh, not only by Hamilton, but also maybe most especially most importantly by James Madison, you know, another figure who was very important in his life um, at this time to preside over the Constitutional Convention. Uh, one of the problems of this project to uh, ratify um, this new Constitution was the question of its legitimacy. We already had a Constitution. We had the Articles of Confederation. Um, the Articles of Confederation had a process by which the Articles could be amended and changed, and we weren't following those procedures. So people questioned the legitimacy of the idea of coming up with a new constitution. And yet there was no other figure in America who could bestow greater legitimacy upon this project, upon this enterprise than George Washington. So when he agreed to serve as president of the Constitutional Convention, um, to sit in the chair and, and lead the discussion about how this, this new framing document should be shaped, 
Um, he was putting at risk his most prized possession, his reputation. Um, but he was also uh, giving a reputation, um, a positive reputation and a sense of, of, of legitimacy to the Constitution that emerged from those proceedings. As the Constitution was emerging, was it clear to other participants at the convention that George Washington is the guy to get this thing started in terms of our first president? Yeah, by all accounts. I mean, during the course of the the imperial crisis leading up to the revolution, during the revolution, a lot of people were very skeptical of executive leadership. And uh, the knowledge that George Washington would be our first president um, meant that he, in many respects, uh, the, the office was was shaped for him. Um, he also, of course, shaped the office. You know, Washington uh, established a number of precedents, um, most famous, maybe most important being stepping down after uh, two terms. Um, there was no constitutional prohibition against the perpetual reelectability of the president at the time. Washington was unanimously elected twice. Um, certainly, he could have been reelected a third time. But he had a sense that uh, it was important for this office to rotate. Um, it was important not to serve in it uh, for, for forever. And if you think about what example he would have set, had he agreed to stand and serve for a third term, uh, he would have died in office. I mean, he died in December 1799, um, just, just a little bit more than two years after his third term would have began. We know that John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and pretty much every president uh, since George Washington has felt considerable constraints on their powers as president and have been bothered by those constraints. Do we have evidence that George Washington himself was bothered by the constraints of the office that, as you say, was uh, carved out for him? I don't know if I'd, I'd say that he was bothered by them. He was certainly alert to them, and he certainly sought advice um, from people about what those constraints were, and not just constitutional ones, not just formal ones, but also um, informal ones. Uh, for, for example, I mean, Washington very much wanted to be the president of all the people. He very much wanted to be seen as <clears throat> an impartial figure. And uh, when people invited him to their houses for dinner in Philadelphia when he was president, he really didn't know what to do. Um, he would write letters to people like Thomas Jefferson asking for advice. Should I go? Um, if I don't go, will it be seen as rude and insulting? If I do go, will, will I be seen as bestowing upon them some sort of special favor or special approval? Um, so Washington was, was very scrupulous, very careful, very thoughtful about how his actions would be interpreted and what sort of precedents he was setting for the future. Rob McDonald is an associate professor of history at the United States Military Academy and an adjunct scholar at the Cato Institute. He'll be speaking at Cato University in Washington, D.C. next week. You can learn more at Cato.org.